0: Good morning, man, I love this place, don't you, amen, yeah, I do, I love this place and I just love Jesus, I love what Jesus is doing in this place, amen, you know, we we were talking about this as a staff not long ago and we've recognized that we've seen tens of people come to Jesus since the first of the year. We've watched them in baptism. like That's awesome, and I think that needs to be celebrated. In fact, I would say that I don't know. It's like what Wade was just sharing. I don't know that there's anything that I've experienced in the world that is quite as remarkable as witnessing someone surrender their life to Jesus for the very first time. Amen? Do you guys remember witnessing that, seeing that? You know what that felt like for yourself? It is the beauty of... Uh, witnessing God pursue someone, and then them turn and recognize that, and their surrender forces the weight of the world off their shoulders it 's like the condemnation of sin is finally removed and and I love it. I love the fact that with that surrender comes uh, their eyes widen with hope as they sense the the shackles of like sin. And the shackles of shame. Anyone had shameful shackles before? You see the shackles of self-worship start to fall off. They get broken off. And you see this person look at life uh, with hope and uh, and fortune, you know? I've had the opportunity through my life to meet many people who don't know the Lord, and I've had the opportunity to even lead some, be a part of the opportunity to lead some who were avidly opposed to a life in Christ, uh, to Him, to relationship. I've, I've had the opportunity to lead what I would recognize as agnostic or atheist to Jesus. And these are people who are tendency, have a tendency to be well-read, intelligent, um, individuals of whom I've gained a mutual respect, maybe even some favor with. And as I was thinking about today's message, I was, I was looking at this passage, it took me back to a conversation that circled around this passage a few years ago. I was in a coffee shop, and I was meeting with a man uh, who uh, who had this particular disdain. He was very forthright about his hatred for a belief in God as he shared how incredibly unhappy he was with his life. We were sitting in this coffee shop. This is about our third time to ever be in conversation, and he shared with me about how he was working this mindless, dead-end job. Um, he was in a loveless, A very unintimate marriage. He had this extremely hopeless outlook on life, and he had a uh, an ultimate dissatisfaction and disdain for the countless people. uh, I would say I'll use his words: the countless peons with which he shared oxygen on this planet. (laughs) He was miserable. And, and, you know, I got to say, that's a lot to take in in the middle of the week when you're looking for a coffee shop with which you can hide and kind of study and get away. And you've never talked outside of, hey, how you doing? How's the wife and kids with this guy before? This is the third conversation we've had. And so I kind of just looked at him as he opened up about his life and how miserable he was. And I just asked, it begged the question. I said, okay, why are you telling this to me? And he said, I, I don't know, man. I just felt like you would want to listen. I felt like you would, you would hear me. And I said, okay. Let me ask you the next question. You decided that there's no God, right? And he said, well, I mean, like there is no God. I was like, but, but but hold on. In your own life, you're just responsible for you. You decided that there's no God, correct? He goes, yes. And I said, so what does that make you? He goes, uh, I don't know. I mean, human, I guess. I said, hold on. <laughs> don't, I'm not going to challenge your intelligence. You're a smart guy. You're well-wet. You know what I'm asking. I just, please don't insult my intelligence, okay? What does that make you? When you become the final authority on all things deity, that makes you what? I want to hear you say it. That makes me God. I said, That's right. It does. It makes you God. And you just shared with me how miserable your life is, correct? I said, Yes. I said, This is what the worship of your God gets you. Are you done with that yet? You see, because Jesus died for more than your pursuit of your insatiable desires. Jesus died for more than your discontentedness. He came in the fullness of God and died so that you could be reconciled to him to know exactly why you were purposed in his mind before the foundation of the world. He died for more than your miserable existence. Are you done with that yet? Mind you, the conversation started almost like this Hi, I'm so and so. I hate the Lord, I hate God. By the end of which, in a few, uh, just a few minutes, I shared with him this passage that we're going to read today. Shared what I just did with you. I said, are you done with that yet? And he goes, yeah, I think I am. And that morning, in that coffee shop, I saw this man surrender his life to the Lord, and he lives for him today. This was just a few years ago. And I want to say to you this. I played little in that pursuit. I played little in that role. I simply repeated back to him what he was saying about himself. And I could see that the Lord was pursuing him. And I just, I got to tell you, it was amazing to watch this person who entered this conversation with hatred leave with hope. As we sing the lyrics, while I was your foe, still you fought for me. We just sang those lyrics. As we sing those lyrics, I can't help but think about the centrality and supremacy of Jesus in this memory. John MacArthur said it like this of the passage we're about to open. He said in his commentary, Of all Bible's teachings about Jesus Christ, none is more significant than 1 Corinthians 1, 15-19, because this dramatic and powerful passage removes any needless doubt or confusion over who Jesus' identity is. It is vital to the proper understanding of our Christian faith. That conversation that morning with my friend was over this passage, and it did just that. It removed any needless doubt or confusion in him over whom Jesus was. Something is broken and brought right in the mind once a person is redeemed to their creator. Order is reestablished, and the promise of life that was intended is finally secured. It offers hope in a hopeless world. Without this, the only thing that we have is the aimless pursuit. And I mean that. Aimless pursuit of serving ourselves and our insatiable desires. I'll ask you a question before we go into the passage. How often do you find yourself hard to please? And how often do you find yourself just genuinely discontented? How many of you ever asked the question? I'll show of hands here. How many of you asked the question? There's got to be more to it than this. Even in matters of faith, Is it ever enough? Our passage for this morning will expound on the proper order of things offering us hope. In Matthew 6, uh, Jesus said it like this, If you seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, everything shall be added to you. You seek ye first the kingdom. It's about priority. It's about supremacy. And actually, before we even open the text, that's going to be our first point today. I'm going to read through it, but I want you to hear the first point. Christ is supreme. He was intended to be first and foremost. If you have your Bibles, you can turn, it's first, uh, sorry, Colossians, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, and I want to read this um, and then expound on it. Here it is. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, "...whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. He's also the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that He might come to have first place in everything." For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him and through Him to reconcile everything to Himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through His blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated, hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now He's reconciled you by His physical body through His death to present you holy. Listen to this, I love this. To present you faultless to present you blameless before him, if indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. He is supreme, thus he is first. Uh, he is created in the image of the invisible God, firstborn over all creation. We need to look at the fact that He is first. Uh, this exact representation of God, His likeness, His image, that word in the Greek is icon. Guess where, what English word comes from that? Okay? The word is icon of God. He is the exact image or replica of God. It is in the, uh, it's like a statue, like a direct replica. Humans are created in the image of God. And that's evident in the fact that we reason. We can think, we can feel, we have choice, we have personality. However, we were not created in the image of God morally. He is holy, yet we are encased by this sinful flesh that has a deep desire to pursue and serve itself. Amen? Amen. And one recognized the brokenness and sin struggle of this world. So, Um, This is distinguishing. We also do not possess some of the very uh, distinguishing traits of God. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He has omnipotence, and He's immutable. We're human. We're not deity. We're not divine. These things set Him apart. Christ was not created. He was, is, and will be, the Scriptures say, but as it says that he is the firstborn of all creation and thus he is also the firstborn from the dead, this is not intended to say that he was first created or that he was even first to rise from the dead. Remember, he rose Lazarus. This is to say that he is firstborn and you must understand in, in their their first their mindset what first meant, firstborn meant. They're talking about birth order. He is foremost. See, in their, in their eyes, the firstborn held so much Power. It was, it, was, it was all inheritance was for the firstborn. It was saved for him. So when he says that he was, it was created for him and by him, for those of that day, birth order was incredibly important. The firstborn got all the inheritance, thus was the first successor. Paul is saying that Christ, in everything that you see that was made by him, is for him. And he is to take first place in everything, even our lives. The truth and distinction about Jesus that Paul's making here spat in the very face of the teaching that was that was saying that he wasn't human. That that at best he, because of who he was, he might have been. If you're going to give him anything, deity. There was this teaching in agnosticism that that uh, that aspects of God would come down and they would reveal itself in short spurts or smaller doses of, uh, in, in emanations or angelic beings. And so you see in here this practice of, of like praying to the angels. So if this is who he was, then he could not be human. Or at best, if he was human, he, could not be a pro- he, he was at best a prophet. He could not also be God because God and his perfection could not inhabit sinful flesh. So, so the teaching that they were up against in Colossae, which was not a church that Paul planted, by the way. He actually led someone to Christ, Epaphras, who would plant this church. He's writing back to it because this church is healthy, but it's up against something. It's up against a tendency that we all face, and that is to take the gospel and add something to it. And so what he was saying is, no, I don't want you to add anything to it. It's not gospel plus, it is Jesus supreme. That's it. He was 100% God and simultaneously 100% man. And the fullness of God was in him. He is the exact representation of the Father. In fact, he said this of himself. If you've seen me, you have seen the Father. And he said in John 14, 6, he said that I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Christ is first and all seconds are extremely distant. Too often, we're distracted by allowing things in our life to take eminence in our lives. Too often, we wonder why we're not experiencing the most intimate relationship with the Lord. And a little bit like my atheist friend, we wonder why, why there's, it doesn't seem contenting. There has to be more to it. But we claim Jesus as we allow other things to compete for eminence in our own lives. How many of you have ever been asked, what are your priorities? I was looking, I, I pointed out to Heather while we were in Florida last week this shirt that I loved. And there's a couple people in the room that I know would love this shirt. I thought it was hilarious. It listed on the front of the shirt a priority system. It said, God, family, guns, country. Okay? I thought it was awesome. On the back, how many of you have seen the state of Florida? You know its shape, know what it looks like? Okay, it looks like a pistol, right? Like a handgun, right? On the back was a handgun and just said, welcome to Florida. (laughs) I thought it was awesome. But what the shirt was communicating was a priority list. How many of you, if we were to be interviewed and asked, we would say that Christ is supreme, that Christ is first. But how many of you, your lifestyle would not say the same? Our trust would not say the same. Thus, our trustworthiness would not say the same. How many of us, we we know what we are to say of Christ being supreme, but our heart does not follow? This is what I want to clarify today. I was praying with our team before we came in here, and I said, guys, we hear this word in Christianese. How many of you know we have our own language sometimes within the Christian world? And one of the things we say is someone made a decision for Christ, okay? Well, here's the thing. John Piper, in his book, Dangerous Duty of Light, I love how he says this. He says it like this, and I I don't want to misquote. It says, perhaps you can see why it is astonishing to me that so many people try to define true Christianity in terms of decisions and not affections. Not that decisions are unessential. The problem is that they require little transformation. How many of you have made a decision in your mind just based on the facts that didn't require any change in you? You just, that's the fact, let's do it. So the problem is that they require little transformation. Mere decisions are not sure evidence of true work of grace in the heart. People can make decisions about the truth of God while their hearts are very far from Him. We've had a tendency today to move away from the biblical Christianity that John Edward, Jonathan Edwards taught about. He pointed in 1 Peter 1.8 and said, He argued that true religion in great part consists in the affections. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, but believe in Him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible in the fullness of glory. Being satisfied in God is our calling and duty. How many of you, if I were just to ask your priority list, you would find, if you were honest in your heart, that there are things that compete for the affection of your heart with the Lord. There are things that compete and seek to take His throne because you're actually seeking satisfaction in other things. Maybe things of this temporal world. Maybe it's something here. And, and quite honestly, it would be difficult in your heart and mind to connect that he is first. I know that we know it, but how many of us yada it? That is the Hebrew word for to know intimately. In Genesis, it was used, it said that Adam yada Eve. He knew her inside and out and trusted her implicitly. How many of us would yada the Lord and seek him first? Second point, he is savior. God was pleased to have all fullness dwell in him and reconcile everything to himself through his shed blood on the cross. The word fullness is pleroma. Pleroma, the Gnostics would teach that divine powers or attributes would be distributed amongst the many emanations, like I just explained. Paul's confronting this false false teaching head on by stating that all fullness of deity is not spread out into smaller doses to many different spirits, but rather every aspect of deity all of it, all power and authority rests in Christ alone. They didn't need the help of the angels to be saved. In John 1.16 it says, For all of his fullness we have all received, grace upon grace. J.B. Lightfoot said it like this, In contrast to the agnostic doctrine, Paul asserts and repeats this assertion that the pleroma abides absolutely and wholly in Christ. In That is the word of God. The entire light is concentrated in him. So I'm going to ask you a question. Some of you have, we have many different backgrounds here. Maybe you have no religious background, but some of you were taught to seek the help of the angels. Maybe you don't. Maybe you do. That's really not what I'm getting at. I want to put that aside for a second. I want to ask, how many of us are putting that up alongside as the seeking that we have in our heart for Jesus? Maybe it's not angels. Put that aside. Maybe it's living in the best neighborhood. That becomes just as important in my heart as seeking and serving Jesus. If I live here, my kid can go to this school. If I go to this school, then my kid has hope of going to this college. And while I may not say that out loud, everything in my life dictates because of the distinctions, the actions I make show that's where my faith actually is. Hello? Too much, too much, too soon? (laughs) Sorry. My question is, in your life, what actions are being made, what choices are being made by you because of the faith you actually place in the things that are temple around you? And when we make those decisions and actions, we actually put them up next to Jesus. Rather than trusting Him wholly, we trust these decisions. So how many of you have ever been relieved that your kid got into a certain school? Oh man, he's going to learn to read and write now. That may not have happened in these other schools, but this one was the one, right? You know what I'm saying? Let me ask you this: I had someone ask me uh, a while ago because I got involved with one of the most. um, I got involved in my last ministry with a with a school that had a reputation for not being so great, and I literally had friends who were living across the street from that school that were sending their kids to other schools. They were driving past that school to go to other places and they, they asked me one day, they said they, they said, What do you know about that school? I said, plenty. Have you ever been to that school? Yes. What have you done in that school? I started a a tailgate on Friday nights so we could support the football team. And two and three hundred people are showing up now for the football games for that school. You live across the street, why aren't you coming? Well, dude, that's dangerous. That school I don't know. How do you expect anything in that school to change if you're not in it? How do we expect light to be pushed I mean darkness to be pushed back if light never enters? How do we how much do we recognize that wherever we go we carry with us the fullness of God because of what Jesus did on the cross not what we did but because of what he did? His Spirit indwells us, thus we carry the kingdom with us, and wherever we go, the truth of the gospel and the hope therein goes with us into a place that is otherwise hopeless. We Listen, you may never in your life have a conversation like I did with my atheist friend. You may, but you may not. But do you recognize you're having this conversation every day whether you recognize it or not? Every day you walk into your place of work, every day you walk into your place of school, you are having this very conversation with the hopeless, with the miserable, with those who are in marriages that seemed seem loveless, seem unintimate, seem sexless. You're walking into places where people find no hope in their dead-end job, and I wonder if the church, you just happen to be the one in front of me, the one that I love and I call family, but I wonder if the church globally started to really trust the supremacy of Jesus and trust that He alone saves. It's not gospel plus anything else. Whatever plus you want to put there, it's not that. If we would just live as if that were true, how much the darkness might be pushed back how much it might begin to look different I just said a moment ago that we've seen tens of people come to Jesus since the first of the year that is worth celebrating but here's the thing it's not done yet Jesus is still moving. He's still stirring. It's happening. It's happening right now. Someone in this room right now is having the Lord like challenge them. By his spirit, he's pursuing you. You're recognizing everything that I just said as your own life, your own dead end job, your own loveless marriage, the inability to see your insatiable desires quenched. You feel that. Let me tell you, I. I was terrified of three words in life because people said them to me and they always abused them. Those three words, I love you. People who said they loved me, I could not trust, they broke my heart, they broke promises to me. I was told, I was told by a minister the truth of Hebrews thirteen i I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Do you understand what that does to a kid who has a brain, who knows how to reason, who has witnessed the people who are supposed to love him most, give him up. And walk out. Tell them they love him. And break promises to him. Over and over and over again. When you ask that kid to believe in a God. That he can't see, hear, touch or smell. Trust me it's not automatic. That kid goes that don't make sense. And you can take your God and shove it. I was kind of like my atheist friend. But when the truth of that text is spoken to you in humility. And all of a sudden, you see beyond the flesh that stands before you that's saying it to you. Maybe you open it for the text and you read it in black and white for yourself. And all of a sudden, when the Spirit of God that is pursuing the lost reads these words and sinks up to the point where your heart can no longer deny it, you can't fight it, For me, 16 years of hatred came pouring out as the weight of the sin of the world was removed. As condemnation came off and I heard for the first time of a love that was unconditional in my life. As I heard of a love for the first time that would not break a promise to me. How many of you know this love? You know what I'm talking about. You've experienced that. You've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And you've experienced that to the point where it drove you back here this morning. How many people in your life have not experienced that? And you encounter them every single day. My third point is this Christ is sufficient, He's enough. It's not gospel plus, there's not something to add to it. It is simply this each of us were just like the people you encounter every day we were just like the people that wade just read about we were just like my atheist friend living for ourselves without any other understanding than to worship ourselves and make ourselves god until we came face to face with the one true god and we could not we could not measure up we saw what he did for us and we recognized what he did without Earning it, without asking, without merit. It's as if I were guilty. Even though I had a ton done to me, guess what? I did even more to other people. And I was going to stand to be sentenced for that. Like, like a man before a judge. And it's as if Jesus stepped in front and the judge is the father and Jesus just said, no, he's with me. I'll take every bit of his sentencing. I'll take every bit of his punishment. Just let him be free and join us. Hello? It's as if that's what took place. And here's the thing that's so amazing about that. I had a friend who grew up and he was the son of a pastor in New Orleans. How many of you have been in New Orleans? How many of you know the deep voodoo culture that exists there? Right? Okay. So here's the thing. His, it, my, my dad, uh, sorry, my friend's dad is having over his buddies, having over the deacons of the church. They're having dinner, and they're hanging out, and they're just fellowshipping. All the leadership's getting together, and that night they get a call that someone, a lady in the church had gotten sick, and my buddy is sitting at the table. He's a kid. And so he's, he's there witnessing the leadership of the church. When I say gospel plus, this is what I'm talking about. They get a call and this lady has gone into immediate surgery and the pastors called and asked with the leadership to pray. And they're planning to go meet her at the hospital afterwards, anoint her with oil, and pray for healing. That she would be okay. But they were gonna pause and pray right there. And they did. But then in addition to it, one of those deacons spoke up and said, Okay, here's what we gotta do though. We gotta walk outside, find a dead cat, nail him nine feet in the tree, chant this thing three times. I'm not joking. It's okay, we'll trust in the name of Jesus, but let's also kill a cat. Let's also engage the demonic of the voodoo industry and its beliefs in that end. Let's enter into the demonic just so we make sure that we get both ends of the spectrum. It is not gospel plus. Jesus is sufficient it's not what you do, it's what he did. He was enough. And here's the best part. I want to read to you, the continued Paul read, uh, writings upon in, in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 5:17. He says, "Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see the new has come. Everything is from God who has reconciled himself through Christ. And he's given us listen to this. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he's committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are the ambassadors of Christ since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us. And that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. So just like we were reconciled to God through Christ's work, and we celebrate what He's done on the cross, we are called to be ambassadors of Christ and tell others about what He's done for them. So they might experience the very transformation we have. They might have the same hope. Here's the beautiful thing. When we're reconciled to God through the Father, and we're reconciled through God the Son, we experience the peace of God through the Holy Spirit. It's the kind of peace that the world is looking for and longing for. How many of you in your life know some people who are living without peace? Hold on. That was not high enough. Look around. How many of you know some people in your life who are living without peace? And they're longing for this peace, the kind of peace the world is looking for, but they're looking for it in all the wrong places. Without Christ, we are constantly jumping from one thing to the next, from one relationship to the next, one job to the next, one show to the next, looking for something that will finally, in this temporal world, this temporal, broken, sinful, that will finally satisfy our souls. And i got to tell you, it will not happen Your soul was created for eternity, but you've been placed in something temporal. That's never going to equal. It's never going to measure up. Jesus alone says it. He is the only one who can truly satisfy. And when we surrender our everything to Him, we find the kind of peace that we get that sustains us for all time, and we can share it with the rest of the world. Jesus is supreme. Christ is Savior. He is sufficient. And in a day where everything competes for our attention. How many of you feel competed for? This means yes. (laughs) And in a place where you're encouraged to split your allegiances. You're you're asked to split your allegiances daily uh, amongst travel ball. Certain schools. Living in the safest neighborhood. Safest experience. How do we reconcile a life in Christ as being enough? How can we say in one side of our mouth that Christ is sufficient, but yet we live something completely counter and say with our actions something else? As we pursue the ventures that are before us, how do we not become distracted and find ourselves uncertain about life? Anyone know anybody who's confused? Anyone in here confused? Anyone a little uncertain in matters of faith or about what's truly, listen, what's truly important? What is truly important this morning? What is truly, what is, what is Paul saying? What did John MacArthur, in pointing back to this passage, say that, about Jesus is saying this. They're both agreeing. They're saying there may not be a passage more important than this statement. In Jesus, there is supremacy. In Jesus, there is sufficiency. In Jesus alone, you find a savior and you find the hope that the hopeless world cannot measure up to. In fact, he gives hope that you can be relieved from. But here's my question to you, and it's our challenge as we come to a point Of response, I don't want to make a decision today. I want to have my affections respond to the Lord today, mind and heart. This morning, are you distracted? Or does this passage look like your life? That Jesus is supreme. Everything we do goes through him, funnels through him as Lord and Savior. We make every decision in our life, in our family, as a home, through the yes of Jesus. That's what we do. We want to please Him in all that we do. We want to seek our satisfaction in Him because we know that the world doesn't satisfy, but yet He does. And our contentment's found in Him. That's what we want to do. Listen, this morning, you might be here and you may be going, I'm completely discontented. I know exactly how your atheist friend felt. I know exactly how you felt, Justin, as you were sharing a moment ago. I get that. And so here's the thing. If that's you, let me just share. I'm here today. Someone spoke to me When I was in your seat, and it changed my life forever because they gave me the truth of who Jesus was. I would love to give that to you today. I have friends who would love to give that to you today. Pastor Scott is here. By the way, one of the reasons I love this place, did an amazing, incredible job last week. I was watching the sermon from afar and could see the Spirit moving in the room. Eric is here. We're going to have prayer partners in a moment here. They would love to talk to you about the truth of who Jesus is and how that is a how, how your life can change this morning. How many of you need a new life? Everything else erased, everything behind you, condemnation of the world come off, the weight of the world come off. You just need a new life today. That's you. If that's you, please, I want to welcome you to come see me in a moment. Everyone else, for those of you who are in Christ, You no longer have the condemnation of sin resting on your shoulders. How many of you are excited that you're free? You are that new creation. You are that new life. When Nicodemus sought out Jesus, he didn't even ask a question in, in in John 3. He just said, hey, obviously you're from God. Jesus turned and says, hey, look, you must be born again. Okay? So for those of you who are free, been born again, know that. Celebrate that. Stop condemning those around you. Stop throwing condemnation on those who should be free and stop condemning yourself. Hello? Let's just, let's just agree to do this today. Let's stop judging other Christians. Let's stop judging ourselves. Let's stop doing the things that Jesus doesn't do to us. And let's do this. Amen? Yeah? Let's do this. Let's come to the table today. Let's look at the broken body of Jesus that in him, the fullness of God, the fullness of man existed. And that body took everything that you deserved as it was flogged and beaten and and hung. That gory and embarrassing picture stood before the world for you, for me, for my atheist friend. And then his blood shed to atone for what I deserve, for what you deserve, for my atheist friend, what he deserved. Let's take that and let's say thank you. Let's approach the Lord's table with a sense of gratitude today. And then I want you to do this. These crosses exist every week. And we always ask you to put on there your prayer request. Today I want you to do this. I want you to put on one side of a card after you take the communion. And with sincerity and severity, I want you to think about everyone in your life whom you're responsible for. Who yet does not know Jesus. Who walks through your door seeking hope every day in a hopeless world. But you have the answer. I want you to write their name down and I want them to become your prayer request. And on the flip side of that card, I want you to write this down. Everything that's distracting you from sharing Jesus with them. I want you to own for a moment, like I have to own for a moment, what is keeping us distracted and our affections dis- like disseminated and not central on Jesus that keeps us like sub like subpar and like se, like what is the word I'm thinking separated that is taking all of our hope and our desire and splitting it gospel plus and it's keeping those who really need Jesus from knowing him we carry with us all the fullness of God all the power and the hope of eternity in the kingdom, but yet when we are focused more on the plus, they have little to no hope. We've seen tens come to the Lord. I desire to see hundreds upon thousands come to the Lord. That's available in this room. And here's the thing. It's because you are the fellowship. You are the church. It's not these walls Even if they never walk through these walls, you lead someone to Christ in your office. Amen. The kingdom just bust wide open and darkness got pushed back because you light entered the room and were just available for a conversation like I was with an atheist friend. Today, I want you to come. And today, church, I believe we need to repent a little bit. Here's why. By show of hands, how many of you have a lost friend or family member that is in your life that you know God has placed in your life and you're responsible for, but yet you've been a little distracted. Nice and high, you're not alone.